It's time for Medicaid Open Enrollment in Delaware. From Wilmington to Bethany Beach, connections run deep in the first state. And AmeriHealth Caritas Delaware is dedicated to connecting you to care. To learn more, visit AmeriHealthCaritasDE.com. Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. You know, one of the things that happens in our life for a lot of us is we get married and, you know, getting married is is great, but it comes along with a lot of challenges sometimes that are not expected. With me to talk about these things is Bob Lapine. Bob Lapine is best known to radio and podcast listeners as the longtime co-host of Family Life Today and as the on-air announcer for Truth for Life with Alistair Begg. Bob is the teaching pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. He's also the author of a new book called Building a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness. Also the author of Four Emotions of Christmas, Love Like You Mean It, and um, the heart, or Love Like You Mean It, The Heart of a Marriage That Honors God and the Christian Husband. Bob and his wife, Marianne, have five children and ten grandchildren. And some of you may know him best as he has been a regular guest host of this show over the past year. Welcome, Bob Lapine, to Southern California Live. Scott, great to be on with you. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being on our program. Hey, so how is ministry going for you these days? We live in a very strange time, don't we? We really do, and it's it's. Uh, I, I think one of the the most challenging things in in working as a pastor, which I've been doing for fifteen years now, uh, going through navigating both the the COVID years and the political climate of the last two years. Uh, that's that's been a real leadership challenge to try to keep people focused on the, the centrality of the gospel and the message of Christ in a culture that's trying to. Uh, to take us in all kinds of different directions and have us thinking about different things and having us divided between one another. So it's, it's, uh, my spiritual muscles have gotten to work out over the last couple of years. And yet I'm grateful for how I've seen God at work in that and for the unity that has been preserved in our, our local fellowship and for people who seem hungry for, uh, hearing the Bible taught clearly. And, and that's my passion is to try to make the Bible as clear and as relevant as I can every Sunday. You know, I think that is, uh, I think that's really key because we see this division, not just in the culture, but we've seen it in the church over the past couple of years. It has been a, a leadership challenge and you really see uh, how how important leadership is, but also how important I found biblical teaching actually is. Well, and I've come back over and over again to Second Timothy chapter 2, where Paul is coaching his protege in the faith, Timothy, who's a a young pastor, and he says, stay away from quarrels and and, uh, strife and controversy, which only serves to divide. And then he says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be able to teach, must be kind to everyone, patiently enduring evil. And I've just, I've looked at that, I mean, even even that patiently enduring evil, I, I read that and I think, this is a high standard that we're called to, and yet uh, it's, the, it's the ministry of the gospel. Jesus suffered much more than any of us has ever had to suffer. And so if we experience light and momentary afflictions in the work that God's called us to, it's producing a, an eternal weight of glory in our souls, and we press on, right? 
That's exactly right. That's a good word right there, too, because I, I feel like people might be uh, frustrated with this time of of evil, but we've got to patiently endure it and trust the Lord. Right. You know, in, in all of this, we were talking about division in our culture. Uh, some of that division we've seen in our own families. We've seen it, um, yeah. and I think it hit the division. You've probably seen this in your church and ministry. I think it took a lot of people by surprise that that the political division or just even family divisions are occurring because of political thought or things that people didn't expect. Yeah, there are conversations that will be avoided at the Thanksgiving dinner table here in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. And uh, some families looking at getting together for Christmas and anticipating division or tension. And I think, again, this is just where we have to be able to to look at loved ones and say, we're going to focus on what matters most, which is our relationship with one another, uh, a shared commitment to the gospel. And, and you might say, well, my kids don't believe the gospel anymore. All right. Well, if you had an unbeliever over for dinner, how would you interact with that unbeliever? Would you would you lash out or would you find a way to be kind to that person? Do that with your kids or whoever it is that's the unbeliever in your family. I, I, I think uh, Jim Burns, who I, I think you know there in Southern California, yeah. who wrote a book about doing life with your adult children. And I love the subtitle, which was keep the welcome mat out and keep your mouth shut. And I think we have to have that kind of an approach as we look at family interaction in a divisive culture. And when it comes to marriage, Scott, and you know this from your pastoral background, uh, it does take couples by surprise when they find out in a marriage that there is separation, there's distance, there's growing isolation. They didn't expect that. It didn't seem to be happening while they were dating, and so now they're kind of blindsided when they get into marriage and go, why am I feeling isolated or alienated or distant from you? And that's really why I wanted to write a book that would be a guidebook to help couples who are starting to experience that drift away from one another, to help them diagnose the issue and help them come back to where their marriage is is supposed to be what God had designed for them in marriage. You know, well, I think that is one of the the great things about uh, your new book is that you address things that are later on down the road where things that people don't expect. And I think we don't talk about it enough. The impact of experiences that we carry in our, our family of origin, as you call it, and how those things affect our marriage, but we don't notice it till later. How do we recognize those things in our relationships that are that are brewing, that are there, but maybe we don't see it until it becomes a source of conflict? Well, I think what happens, it, it's like uh, it's, it's like your car. You're driving one day and you notice something is just not feeling right. There's a rattle or there's a, the, the steering wheel feels loose or it, it, it just doesn't feel right. And you think, I need to get this checked out rather than just continuing to drive and hope that it fixes itself. Uh, we do a better job doing preventive maintenance on our vehicles than we do doing preventive maintenance on our marriages. And so couples who have put 10,000 miles or 20,000 miles on a marriage and think there's a rattle here and I'm not sure what to do with it and they don't know where the mechanic is to go try to get help, they often just limp along and hope that it will get better. And this is where I think whether it's a book or a conference or a time with a counselor or time with your pastor – I'm meeting tonight with a couple in our church who called me a few weeks ago and said, 
we just feel like we need a tune-up. And I said, good for you. First of all, good for you in recognizing the issues and not just saying, well, let's not tell anybody because that would be embarrassing or shameful. But let's get some help and let's try to get get a tune-up. So we're going to sit down and talk about where the rough spots in their marriage are. And, and one of the things, you mentioned family of origin. One of the things we'll talk about is uh, how issues, we, we, all of us learned how to get along with other people in our family of origin. We learned what relationships are supposed to look like, how to communicate, either for better or for worse. I mean, if you grew up in a home where all that happened was your your mom and dad shouted at you, then what you learned growing up is that's what you do. When you get in a position of power or authority, you shout at other people. So we have these patterns that we bring into marriage without even recognizing it. And when they start to show up in a marriage, we can take one another by surprise in how we're relating to each other. I think that's one of the challenges is to, even when they come up, to recognize that I'm responding the way I'm responding or my spouse is responding the way she's responding, not you know, because that's something that she's just always done, that she hears things differently. You know, Christy and I have, right. have dealt with that, too. It's like, why are you responding this way? You know, how do we how do we. You know, do you have an example of, you know, things that maybe people carry along? You said uh, sometimes, uh, you know, a family grows up uh, and yelling each, at each other is the normal thing. Um, what yeah. are some other things that maybe are even more subtle that people bring into relationships that, that come out eventually? Well, I was with a couple, this was several months ago, and we were talking about frustrations. And I remember this wife saying to me, she said, my husband does this all the time, and it drives me crazy. It just, it's, it's so frustrating. And then she said something really interesting. She said, my brother, when I was growing up, used to do the same thing. And it drove me crazy back then. And I thought, okay, so what we have here is something that your brother did that annoyed you. Now let's talk about how you see your husband doing the same thing. And it turned out her husband wasn't really doing the same thing. Her brother had always been critical with her, had always been harsh with her, had always said said things to her like, you don't know what you're doing. You're stupid. And now her husband was coming along and he was saying, you know, have you ever thought about doing this this way? Hmm. And what she heard was the echo of her brother going, you don't know what you're doing. You're stupid. And it was just, it was provoking some of those old scars and those old memories. And, and that's where I think we can get blindsided and, and not realize our frustration is maybe not even with our spouse. It, it, that just happens to be the person closest to us that's getting near an old wound or, or an, old, an old damaged area. And, and we, we're all of a sudden provoked without even realizing why. I had uh, somebody one time, she was talking about the couple was just having lots of arguments about stuff. And she finally realized that in her family, they blamed each other for, they worked hard to not take responsibility for anything. That was their family way. Right. And the funny thing she said is she says, I, I was home alone and I dropped a glass bowl that was full of salad I had just prepared and it broke and it shattered everywhere. And she said, I realized that maybe I have the problem because before the bowl even hit the ground, I was finding a way in my mind to blame my husband for it. Oh, isn't that it was really an interesting revelation for and that helped them um a lot through this you know and and this this is a this is a small illustration 
Uh, it, it, it's not anything that, that turned into a big deal. But the first weekend we were married, uh, Marianne and I had dated for four years. So we kind of knew each other's habits and patterns. Yeah. And we'd, we, we'd just seen all of how we get along. And one of the things we knew was Friday nights, if we were together on Friday nights, we would, uh, we'd stay out late or we'd stay up talking. And uh, by the time we said goodnight, it was midnight or one in the morning. And I would say to Marianne, why don't we get together for lunch tomorrow? And so I'd go home and I'd go to bed. And on Saturday morning, I would sleep. I would sleep till it was 10 or 11. I was in college. You know, Saturday yeah. morning, you just sleep in. Well, when we got married, the first Saturday morning that we're married, my wife woke up, I think, that morning at 6.30. She goes out into the kitchen of the house, and she's taking care of things. By the time it's 9 o'clock, she's been up for two and a half hours. She's bored. She's ready to get the day going. And her husband's still asleep in the bedroom. Well, she, she comes in, and she raises the shades. I'm thinking, well, what is she doing raising? I'm sleeping. It's Saturday morning. I, this is what I do. And that had been our pattern. But I remember us talking about it later, and she said, you know, my dad on Saturday mornings when I was growing up, he would always get up and get right into a, a list of projects for the day. And so she just had in the back of her mind that her, high, her college boyfriend was somehow going to uh, develop new patterns when when we got married and instead of being in bed on Saturday morning I'd be up with a to-do list and we had to we had to figure out how we were going to resolve that and, and work all of that out those are some of the the subtle things from our family of origin that we can carry into our marriage relationship that is a that's such a great story i think a lot of people you know you get you dated you said 4 years and uh you, but you don't learn that kind of thing uh, no, not until you're married. There's so much, yeah. there's so much you don't know. Right. I, and here's what we do: it in the gap areas where we don't know how somebody's going to react, we assume that they will react the best way possible or our preferred way. Yeah. And then when we get in marriage and we start to experience some of those gap areas and go, oh, they're not acting how I thought they were going to act, and that's when we start to go, what's wrong here, and what's wrong with him, or what's wrong with me. Those are the kinds of things. And, and this is where I'm hoping uh, the book, which you, you've seen it, Scott, it's it's 100 pages long and it's 17 chapters. So it's a bunch of short chapters. I'm hoping couples will get this and have 17 date nights and go out and read through the four pages that make up one chapter and then do the discussion questions that are at the end and maybe do some of the fine tuning necessary on their marriage relationship and start to patch up some of the things, some of those wobbles that have started to happen in their marriage. You know, we, you talked about how you were dating for four years. Do you have advice? I thought maybe what we can do is talk about things that people should try to talk about while they're dating when they're serious, but then also to have an expectation that there's just stuff that's going to come up later and why you still yeah. have to date your spouse. You know, if, if people are listening and they're in a dating relationship right now, they're thinking of getting married, you know, maybe they've talked about it or maybe in the back of their mind they're thinking this is coming. Um, what are some things that people could actually talk about during, uh, you know, their engagement or right as they're building up to it? What do you think? Yeah, there are some critical, important conversations. And this is where I think good premarital counseling is essential mm -hmm. for couples. There are actually, I think there's some great books out that have got lists of questions in them to talk about everything from the very practical 
I think it's good to ask questions like, in your home, um, who was responsible for overseeing the finances? Mm. When you were growing up, was that mom or dad that did that? In your home, who took out the trash? Who did the yard work? Who did the dishes? And, and part of the reason you ask what it was like in your family of origin is because there's just a natural expectation that that's how all families do it. Yeah. And so we're starting to figure out what's it going to be like in our family? What are the things... What, what are the things that you hope to do, that you, that you enjoy doing, that you're good at doing? I mean, Marianne learned pretty quickly that organizing a closet is not on my spiritual gift list, you know? <laughs> and I would, she would say, could you kind of straighten up the mess on your half of the closet? And I would go in and stare at it and go, what do I, what do, I do? How do you straighten up a mess in here? I'm not sure. I'd just start moving one pile right. to another place in the closet. And finally, she was like, let, let me do this. And she would come and she'd get it in great shape. And I go, "That's a, how did you even know how to do that? That's amazing. And she goes, how can you not know how to do that? Right. I mean, so we have to recognize we all bring different strengths and, and weaknesses into a marriage. We can, we can serve one another. But, but I think to your point, the questions that it's good for us to talk about are questions related to practical issues like who's going to be responsible for automobile maintenance and yard work. It's also good to talk about um, our, our emotional backgrounds. Mm. I, one of the things I talk about in the book is is uh, how trauma from our childhood can can be a factor that that uh, shows up later on in our marriage. Yeah. But most of us have experienced things in childhood that if they weren't if, if they weren't traumatic, they were at least wounding. And to know where those sore spots are and to know how those affect us in a marriage relationship, those are just good conversations to be able to have. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.